I am Bo Humphreys, and this is the Personal Finance Show. This is uh, episode 11 of my uh, COVID-19 series. Uh, it is June the 7th, uh, 2020. I was uh, in a little bit of a break from my podcast. I did 100 shows. Um, my guest today was on that 100th show. And uh, I got uh, a little break. I was a stay-at-home dad for a little bit uh, until we got daycare, and I got a full-time job as an insolvency counselor, and that's what I do now. And I was going to come back to the podcast at some point. I didn't know when, but COVID-19 kind of brought me back, I, I would say, a little early. Um, so I had to make a few adjustments, like I, I do it at a specific time on Sunday mornings, and there's no editing, and there's no time to do any of the fancy stuff I did before. This is about connecting with people around the world um, in this time. It, it seems more important than ever to talk to people uh, that I know that are having different experiences that uh, have been affected by the pandemic in uh, different ways, right? And so we can relate, right? Uh, you know, just uh, 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 as an aside, I have a lot of anxiety uh, about this, uh, just traveling from one city to the next, and not necessarily even because of COVID-19, but because there's a state of emergency in my province right now. And there's protests, and there's uh, it, it feels like the world is on fire right now. And that's, that's kind of how I feel. And you know, I had anxiety before a little bit, uh, which I was uh, controlling, but this kind of, it brings up all that stuff. So I would just want people, anybody listening to know that that's okay. You know, if you have anxiety, just, you know, this is not going to be like this for a while. You don't have to, you know, fight through it. Just do what you can do. And, uh, you know, we need to talk about things like that to try to, you know, everyone's like, oh, just power through, get back to work, let's open it all up, right? And it doesn't have to be that way. But everyone experiences this uh, differently. Um, and so uh, let's talk to as many people as we can. And so uh, I have today Kara Perez. Welcome, Kara. Thank you for having me. And you are, uh, tell, tell us uh, what city you live in now. I'm in Austin, Texas. Austin. Uh, oh, it's probably really hot right now. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> too, maybe too hot sometimes, right? Yes. Um, yeah, I've, I've, been, I've been to Austin uh, once. Uh, we flew into Houston, uh, and then we visited um, our friends who were going to, uh, who live in College Station, and my friend mm -hmm. was a professor at uh, the, what is it, what's it, the A&M, yeah. right? Yep. So we took a little trip to Austin on the side, uh, which was nice, and we had some brisket, and mm -hmm. uh, I don't remember exactly where we went, but it was probably one of the better places. Uh, but, you know, you, the things you got to do, we went to the graffiti uh, oh, yep. uh, place, what is it called, Graffiti Mountain? The Hope Gallery is what it's called now, because okay. <laughs> um, but it may have been called Graffiti Mountain. Back no, in the I day. made that up. I okay, that up. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just took a I took a stab at, at that. It was cool though. People were spray painting like you can go and do that. Do you ever mm -hmm. do that? Have you done it? Um, yep. I took my mom when she came and visited, but actually they it's no longer there. Um, oh, it's, okay. In, it's not in the same location anymore. They that land got sold, and oh. now they moved it further east. Wow, so uh, would they just take all the walls down and move them? Or no, they, they, no, they left the art there and they were like, go make new art somewhere else. Okay, <laughs> that's good. At least they're encouraging that. That's, uh, yeah. It's a nice, so like, Austin is uh, it's different than other uh, Texas cities, right? Yes. The blue and dot what, in the red ocean. Yes. So, <laughs> so blue, blue meaning Democrat, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so it's a lot more, uh, well, I mean, less guns? What would you say? Actually, there's still quite a few guns. Like Texans in general love their guns, even if they're maybe voting for the Democrats. Texans love guns. It's very interesting. So I'm originally from Massachusetts. So I grew yeah, up I was in the ask, Northeast, yeah. classic liberal. And then I moved to Texas. And Texas is its own identity. It's a part of the United States South. But when you talk about like the deep South, you're not usually referring to Texas. You're referring mm. to Georgia, Alabama, Louisiana. Yeah, yeah. And they have their own identity in texas it's it's caught up in a lot of the southern um identity but it also has this like cowboy mentality like yeah. i'm settling the range and like i'm my own pioneer <laughs> yeah. and so i would say the way that that comes out most strongly even in the blue bubble of austin is that mm -hmm. people feel very strongly about property ownership and they feel very strongly about guns okay and uh, how do you feel about either of those things you know, I am very anti-gun <laughs> and I am conflicted on property ownership just from like an ethical 
point of view. And that who can own property uh, or like who originally uh, uh, bought or had the property to give away anyway? Yeah. And like the idea of private property seems very odd to me. And then Hmm. Austin's the most economically segregated city in the United States. So it's very, very clear who owns and who doesn't own property here. And Ah. it's just like this is it's a really interesting city to be in when thinking about property ownership also we have this highway that runs right through the middle of the city called i-35 i think it goes all the way to canada and (laughs) i think so um and it was literally built in the location it's in to separate the white section of town from the black section of town so okay yeah it's just like it's a very it's a very interesting place to be thinking about money and to be thinking about kind of like the ethics and the the policies behind money. Wow. So that's that's what you mean by economically segregated. Like yes. originally there was a place where people owned and where people, I guess, rented. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's still the case today. Is it still uh, uh, race divided? Still very race divided. Now, obviously, mm. like parts of um, the black the historically black communities are getting gentrified. So a lot of white people are moving in. Um, and that has not gone super well. There's been a lot of people forced out because also cost of living has gone up really. Dr- I've been in Austin eight years and mm. I make a very like middle-class income. I'm not super wealthy, but I'm not broke. And I have seen the cost of living just shoot up when i first got down here i was like this is so cheap i'm from boston like okay that's so expensive and now i'm like this is boston this city became boston really? it became boston so it's not that expensive but it's just below it and in another couple of years like apple's building a campus here i mean oh, really this is going to be a top tier like expense city in the next five years wow okay so what so in terms of uh, the community, uh, the black community, then what does that mean? What does that mean? Uh, like, Yeah, that's a good question. So Austin is less than 5% black and has been for several years. We have a huge, obviously, like Latino, Hispanic uh, population. And we yeah. actually have a fairly large Asian American population. But by far, like Austin is a white city, both in terms of its largest demographic and its representation. So a big thing that's happening right now, obviously in line with the protests and this kind of this mm-hmm. movement and rebellion in the United States is um, all eyes are kind of on our city council. But we have a white mayor. We have a predominantly white city council. Um, there's only one black city council member. I think there are three Latinos. Um, and so I think... You know, Americans don't vote. <laughs> like they, they it's just sort of right? like our thing. We're like not really into voting, even though we're really oh. into like, don't tell me what to do. Um, and yeah. te- Texas has a really bad voting record. I think we're the forty seventh state on like who votes. We're like way down at the really? bottom. <laughs> like we're we don't vote. Very but recently there's been a lot of engagement with city council. There's been a lot of engagement with the mayor's office, and I'm okay. hopeful that this will wake people up to the power of local policies and local politics and think yeah. like get people hopefully in marginalized communities more representation and more protections is is kind of my hope. Yeah, okay. Okay. Okay, so uh, we might come back to this. We probably will come back to this. Uh but let's talk about you. So you um I guess we can go back to February, I guess. Is that when everything was normal again? Yes. Is that this year? <laughs> I don't know. Who can say? <laughs> How many years ago was it that we could gather in groups of people? 25 uh, years ago. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> it feels that way. Um, so your company is uh, Bravely Go, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, dot co. Bravelygo.co. It rhymes. Bravelygo.co. <laughs> Bravelygo. Um, it's a tongue twister a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and you would be putting on, uh, financial events is your core, right? Of your business? Yes. So a local, local in Austin. Yeah. So I do these, I call them pop-up conferences. And so it'll yeah. run from like 9am to 5pm and we'll have several speakers come through and talk about really tactical, um, intersectional finances. So, you know debt payoff, investing, negotiation. My audience is predominantly women. 
And I've done most of my events in Austin, but I've taken them out on the road. We've done one in Boston, Massachusetts. We've done one in Portland. Nice. And we were supposed to do one in Miami this year, but that's gone out the window. <laughs> Miami okay, so and L.A. That you were going to do both of those, yeah. Yeah. When were those going to be? L.A. was going to be um, mid-September, and then Miami was going to be late October. Okay. And so you, um, at a certain point, first of all, you, uh, uh, where were you when the pandemic hit? Were you at home in Austin? Yes. Okay. So you're isolated, um, and at a certain point, you start to realize that maybe you had some events, local events, of course, uh, mm -hmm. booked, and yes. that these events are probably not going to happen. What is, is it mid-March? Yeah. So in in Austin, we have the South by Southwest Festival, yes, which is this big international course. festival. And so in late February, very late February, they, the city canceled that. And I mean, that sent shockwaves through yeah. everything. And people were furious because that is a huge economic driver for the city and especially for small businesses. Like a lot of small businesses will do 40, 50, 60% of their revenue during South by like their annual revenue. Um, and especially if you're a property owner and you can rent out your house either on Airbnb or if you own commercial property and you rent it out, like a lot of hotels and hostels and, um, just smaller shops, they'll rent it out so people can have these huge brand parties and they'll make okay. $100,000 yeah. in a week. I mean, it's so crazy. So they count on this. Yes. So they canceled that and I was taken aback. Yeah. And then I was supposed to have an event April 4th, mm. a conference, and we'd sold a bunch of tickets and I had all these speakers lined up. And in mid-March, I was just like, I can't do this. Like, there's no way. If they're not doing South by and it's, you know, the stock market is doing all these crazy things and everyone's freaking out about coronavirus, like, I just have to cancel it. So I pushed it. It's technically still on the books for October. But okay. I don't see it happening. No, no <laughs> okay. And in the meantime, um, so you're just kind of taking some time to come to terms with um, – so what does my future look like in terms of events, right? Yeah. And yeah. How, I mean, how did that feel at the time? Um, it felt, I honestly was really sad for a while because mm. I've been doing my business for three, three and change years. And I felt like I was just beginning to harvest some of the seeds that I had planted years yeah. ago. And then it was like a drought came and all my seedlings died. And I was just like, oh, well that sucks and this is something i've spent so much time on that is so uncertain you know even looking into 2021 yeah so many people are not going to want to go to events if there isn't a vaccine or people aren't going to want to travel like local events maybe will be fine but even people from dallas and houston which i normally get at some of my austin events they might not want to come so it's sure. just an it's a very long timetable it's a very long timetable for uncertainty yeah. And that just was really disappointing because I'm a company of one. I didn't have like a co-founder to be like, it's okay. We're going to, we'll rally. I was like, it's <laughs> just, okay. Yeah, we'll just rally. <laughs> just T-Bone. Yeah. My boyfriend who doesn't really understand uh, like how my business operates. He's like, mm -hmm. like anytime someone asks him what I do, he's like, well, she talks about money with other people. It's <laughs> like, I'm not totally corner. clear, which is very <laughs> funny because he's always, he always helps with my events. Like he's always yeah. my door guy, you know, my ticket guy, he'll be my bartender. And he's always just like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> but he's very supportive. Very supportive. Couldn't have done the summit, which I ultimately ended up doing without him, yes. honestly. <laughs> So you decide at some point that you're not just going to be sitting and waiting for your events to be possible again, that you're mm -hmm. going to pivot and do online. Have you done online events before? I've done a lot of webinars, you know, like yeah. 30 to 40 person smaller webinars, um, but never anything large like a summit. Yeah. And so you decide that you're going to, was it people who were going to be speaking at your existing events already or did you, this was from scratch? Totally from scratch. Okay, so what what was this event going to be called? Yes, so I decided, I actually had the idea for this summit in maybe December, and I thought maybe I could do a big in-person event, and then obviously I was like, this is going online. So it was called the Financial Feminist Summit. 
Mm-hmm. And we had 10 sessions. We had nine, uh, nine speakers, not including myself. Um, and it took place over two days. And it was a combination of pre-recorded videos and then Facebook Lives. And we had 3,300 people register. That's awesome. 3,300. Yeah. And uh, so that means those 3,300 had access to the videos. Yes. Do you have any stats on how many people like actually uh, attended things? Because yes. you're, you're probably expecting a certain percentage of those will just sign up and not show, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like uh, most conferences, <laughs> actually. Right? Yes. Yeah. With... With live events, I always expect, especially this was free, This the summit was free. Yeah. And anytime something's free, you always have to expect at least a 20% drop off. Like, okay, okay. that's just industry standard. Yeah. And with online stuff, I don't know what the... It's probably high, even higher. Yeah, exactly. I would expect that it would be closer to like 40%. Yeah. Um, but I was really pleased. I'm trying to pull up my statistics for you so i can get an actual i'm like where's my playlist here um the uh the youtube uh so you you would have sent all of us a, a link to a youtube playlist yes for that's the what for I the did. two days and, and that's where we could access the video and you couldn't access those videos otherwise right, right. Yeah. yes which people were very upset about but i was like you need to register <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. hey you, can't you know just... <laughs> yeah that's there's got to be some way for you to get some benefit from this, uh, you know, right. to, to track the person, right? Because if, like, that's the thing about posting videos online is, uh, sure, like, if you get a million hits or whatever, maybe you could start advertising. But, you know, for something like this where you curated everything, mm-hmm. you at least would want the person's email so you can contact them. Yes, 100%. Right? 100%. So, okay, here is, this was updated, it says seven days ago so this isn't exactly um the most up-to-date data sorry about that but so we had 11 videos i made a little welcome video as well that was an Mm -hmm. official session and we had eleven thousand views eleven thousand three hundred and four okay views um so i think great yeah i was very pleased and my initial goal was 5,000 attendees so at first i felt really disappointed like oh Oh, 3,300 like I didn't hit my goal, but then the feedback that I got from other people who host online events was like, 3,300 for your first time is amazing. seriously. (laughs) It's like, oh, that's (laughs) awesome. And and, and engagement, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you had some great engagement. Um, The comments that were flowing through, I mean, you know, since I have baby responsibilities, I couldn't attend everything fully, but I Mm -hmm. tried to do as much as I could, especially the just going to hear people talk live that mm-hmm. you know it's nice to watch the videos but it's good to be part of the discussion but uh, just the comments that people were leaving like the inspirational stuff mm-hmm. because some of these sessions were really um really powerful um yeah go ahead yeah my my purpose with doing this was really to explore topics that are often ignored. Um, So for example, we had a session on first generation money. So what is it like to be the child of an immigrant who obviously comes from outside of the United States and isn't familiar with our money system? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had a whole topic called what is financial feminism? Because I feel like that's a term that gets thrown around a lot that people haven't actually put thought into which may be a little bit of a flamethrower here but people who are like oh well i care about women flame flame away (laughs) people confuse the the term feminist for just like i support women which is a part of feminism but feminism is a political movement it's a social and political movement and it has a very long and very layered history and that must be a part of the discussion of financial feminism it can't just Mm -hmm. be like Let's get rich, ladies. That's, I think, a disservice to the women who have come before us or the people who have come before us. So, Well, it's similar to, to, to the, any race discussion. It's all about the things that were – you have to talk about the history. Of, yes. Like, uh, was it 1973? Is uh, getting the year right? The uh, Equal Opportunity uh, 1974. Uh, Four. So Is close. Loan <laughs> Act, the debt, or whatever uh, it's called. Equal Credit Opportunity Act. Yeah. So before that, what, you had to get your husband to sign off on a loan or something like that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Your oh. husband or your father, any woman just like could not get a loan of any sort on her own. 
It sounds, this just sounds so ridiculous mm-hmm. to talk about that now, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It's like you couldn't go as an individual. You needed to have a man mm-hmm. to sign. What if you didn't have a man? What if you're, you're, you're an orphan and you're not with somebody? You just can't get credit? Like, mm-hmm. what is that about? And in, in any case, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't like the patriarchy. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, right? And again, that doesn't mean that I don't like men. Mm-hmm. It do- it just means that I don't like men controlling women, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and all of the stuff that came from. So, like, if you, that's what that's forty years ago. That's uh, for you know, uh, maybe almost fifty years ago. Mm-hmm. That's not a lot of time Mm-mm. for you to let now. So, you know, why would you think that uh, uh, women um, can just be like get money and not talk about the the struggles along the way? That's what you're saying, right? Right. Yeah. And honestly, like, what. It still needs to be done, both on a political and social level and an economic level. And let's face it, like, women can be terrible. Women are not inherently better than men. (laughs) And women can also be negatively impacted by, um, you know, like, misogyny, like internalized misogyny. So women getting rich is not just like the the cure to societal ills because we are just as susceptible to the ideas of oh well like I want to hoard my money or I want to exploit my workers as are men so I think that that I think it's a really easy like rallying call like let's get rich ladies but is it actually moving the needle in creating a more equal and equitable world like probably not long term (laughs) yeah I mean I mean the the example of uh um, the rich white woman in Central Park, right? Who, yes. Uh, oh, yes. Calls the cops to try to uh, for for not having her dog on a leash. Amy like, Cooper. Yeah. How did she? How did Amy Cooper get to that point? Right. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, it's great. It's great that she's a successful woman. But like you just said, that didn't change any of uh, the behaviors that we're trying to change. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, so like, great, we're creating successful, horrible women. Now, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, I don't know. It's, uh, more Rockefellers, please. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a really, really good point. And so you're talking about uh, this. And the, I like the word nuance because, you know, I mean, and Kara has a whole podcast about <laughs> this. It's called The Fair Sense with, uh, with Tanya Hester, uh, the, where you, you get into the specific, you know, um, divisions of all the different things that go into this right like Mm -hmm. specific topics not just like let's do another episode about feminism in general it's like toxic masculinity and you know all all the other things that are involved with making change Mm -hmm. right because that's what's important it's not just like you said let's get more women money it's not not about that so you did yeah. the first gen thing was was awesome because I don't I'm not a first gen um, I'm not a woman of course too <laughs> but I'm not a I'm not first gen so I don't know what it's like to have parents who um, are coming from another country and have a def- different values of money and different uh, outlook and maybe expect me to take care of them as well that was mm-hmm. part of it too right yeah yeah the expectation put on children of immigrants for like well you'll be my retirement plan. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I am the child of an immigrant, so I'm I'm first gen on my dad's side who's from Dominican Republic, but on my mm-hmm. mom's side, like I grew up in the house that my mom grew up in, that my gra- on the street that my grandfather grew up on, <laughs> like Wow. So, it, for me, it's a part of my own personal narrative, but it's also not a part of my personal narrative. Like it's and I think for that session in general, we got a lot of really positive feedback from people who are not first gen, who were yeah. just like, wow, I had never considered this before. Thank you for opening my yeah, eyes. Yeah. yeah. And so I think too, like so often people are, you know, we're getting more and more siloed in our own beliefs and our own very small worlds, even though we have more access online to different thoughts and different people than literally ever before. It, but we're we're getting isolated in these things. And I think it's so important to say to people, this doesn't have to apply to you for you to still learn about it, <laughs> for yeah. you to be interested in it, or for you to take time and say, actually, I'm, I'm not interested, but at least I listened for 15 minutes before I completely wrote it off. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, can tell us a, a few more highlights from the uh, from the summit. Yeah. So you mentioned the engagement. The engagement was amazing in the Facebook group. People were talking to each other. They were talking to me. They were talking to the speakers. And I got so many incredible notes after the summit ended from people who felt really seen, really celebrated, and 
they felt like even people who were further advanced in their own financial world, they're like, you know, honestly, this was pretty basic for me because like I, I understand what a budget is. I have my 401k on point. But I haven't found a community that is so excited about nuance yet. Yes, like, And that's yes. what I'm here for is that I know I could come in with my own question, even if it is finance 2.0, 3.0, and people are going to be really excited and help me see it from a new point of view. And that I was like, oh, this is so exciting. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's you. Because you talk about intersectionality all the time. Mm-hmm. And you also uh, like to say that you can't talk about personal finance without talking about politics mm-hmm. right yes and people like to throw the word politics around like like right now like somehow being uh, a- anti-racist is politics oh, not yeah. just be have, being a human being mm-hmm. uh you know uh, it's not there's nothing political about being uh, against racism yeah right? <laughs> and if somebody tries to tell me that i don't know what to say to them right mm-hmm. like oh it's controversial no it's not yeah don't be a racist yeah right <laughs> like that's it sounds pretty clear to me right mm-hmm. um so you know the um Let's talk about intersectionality uh, because I think people don't quite understand that if they're going to a conference and they see, you know, five white guys on the panel uh, talking about something, even if it has nothing to do with, uh, you know, if it's not about race or gender specifically, let's say, right? Um, Which, you know, people like to think, oh, if I'm not talking about that, I don't have to have diversity. Mm -hmm. But it's not, that's not true. Intersectionality, uh, everything, different perspectives, different uh, values, different attitudes, yes? Yes. Um, yeah. So the the idea of intersectionality as it applies to feminism was coined in the in 1989 by a, a black woman named Kimberly Crenshaw, and uh, she's still alive. She's killing it. She is a lawyer and a professor and amazing. So I really encourage everyone to look up her and her work. But I kind of take the work that she created and apply it through an economic financial lens. And so that can be, you know, your your race, your gender, your able-bodiedness, your something that I talk about or something I think about a lot is like pretty much all of my aunts and uncles, you know, they moved here when they were in their their teens in large part, except for my youngest uncle. He moved here when he was like 4 or something. Um, but there's a, a, an accent, you know, and yeah. I'm like That is also something people judge accents and sometimes they are, you know, like Americans love British accents, you know, we're enamored with British accents. So sometimes (laughs) the judgment is a positive one, but sometimes it's a negative one. So even something like that, if you're going, if you call up a bank and you're trying to figure out, you know, how to get a loan and you have an accent that can be impacting how you're being treated, how you're, how you're maybe going to be accepted as a client. So it sounds kind of overwhelming, but I actually find a lot of freedom in the concept of intersectionality because it's like I have permission to address these parts of myself and these parts of other people. And what I said at the summit was like, when we talk about black money, I don't, I'm not black. Like, <laughs> I don't have that experience. Mm-hmm. It's not my family. That's, But it's okay because this is an opportunity for me to pass the mic. It's for me to say, hey, I have this audience. Some of them are black. Some of them are not. They all need to hear about this this anyway here black friend like please come in and share your world with us like it it shouldn't be i think of intersectionality as permission to engage rather than like punishment for drawing attention to this you know yeah yeah the opening it up right it, what you know what i can do as a as a very privileged white male is amplify voices mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I ha- I have a podcast, which is great. Right. You can amplify in a lot of different ways. Um, but that's it, it. It makes so much uh, uh, sense to me to have everyone's perspective. Right. Because you, you, you just you're just expanding your mind. Right. But I, I'm and I'm not sure why people want to stay so closed off. Mm. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, the, the more that I experience this and the more that someone tries to say, uh, oh, we don't you know, we don't want politics in this. And we don't want to, uh, you know, to have to talk about these hard issues. Um, well, the only reason why is because they don't have to face those issues every mm-hmm. day. And yeah. how does it feel for everybody else? Right? Yeah, I think, too, it is a lot of fear. Like, fear, in the United yes. States, we have very clear power structures that I think especially white people are maybe not 
specifically cognizant of, but we know our lives are better than black people and we want to hold on to that. Like we're afraid if we address the issue, if we talk about it, A, we have to accept ownership and B, what if we lose? What if someone treats us like black people? Like that is truly the fear. That is truly the fear of a lot of white people who wouldn't call themselves racist, but they're like, we can't even talk about it because otherwise I'm going to lose this power. And that's a really hard thing to accept about yourself that like, I like the power that I have, even though I know not everyone has this power. And it's much easier to just be like, it's so rude to talk about that (laughs) than it is to be like, it's rude that I have this belief. (laughs) Yeah. So we made up this thing to make ourselves feel better about not talking about it so that that we could keep our power. Mm -hmm. um, Because you know, oh, yeah, I don't even know what to say sometimes. It's just, you know, why uh, uh, oppression is just so built into this, uh, the history of the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I tried looking back. I'm sure you've done this too. To, you know, how did this all be- begin? It's just, this is human civilization. Yeah. This is how it began. <laughs> and that's terrible. And a lot of us have, I mean, like I like to say evolved uh, to uh, better thinking that, we're no better than anybody else or, you know, no worse for that matter. Um, but it's taking so long to get to that point. Yes. Yeah, it really is a part, you know, and at our very basic human level, humans create in-groups and out-groups. And that makes us mm. feel more secure. If there's someone that we know that we are whether it's better than or safer than or literally like more full, like I have food, they don't, it makes us feel more safe. It just does. I don't know. I'm not an anthropologist or anything, but this is kind of um, a basic principle. And I do think that that is something that is going to be a challenge, especially with nearly 8 billion people in the world, all of us with our own biases and preferences and everything that is, it's going to be a long time till we're all sitting around singing Kumbaya together. But I also think we can't stop challenging ourselves. And something that I've really been working on just personally in the last year, I think a lot of people in our personal finance world think of me as very woke. Um, And I've gotten a lot of questions, especially recently from people in our space of like, how can I talk about this? You talk about this all the time. How can I get involved in the conversation? Which has made me feel very uncomfortable in some ways because I'm such a flawed person. And there are many mistakes I have made in the past. And there are many mistakes I'm making now that like Kara five years from now is going to be like, what the hell? What were you doing? (laughs) And I, but so what I want to say to everyone is Like, you can't be afraid of the mess, whether that's professionally, personally, with race issues. Like, I made a lot of mistakes with the summit. I had a lot of technical issues. (laughs) But, like, you just got to keep moving forward, you know? It's like, I did the best I could. I apologized. I tried to make sure everyone got the videos if they missed the first email that went out. And, like, next time I'll use different equipment, (laughs) you know? It's the same with our approach to race and equality. Like, I know I've... I've made some unsavory comments in the past or I've never thought about this. I've just totally lived in my white privilege world. Now is the time to start thinking about it. Now is the time to challenge yourself and to grow. Yeah. And to not just rest on that, like, oh, this is who, how I am. It's, yeah, but continually learning, being not afraid of disappointing, not afraid of making mistakes. Yes. Um, you know, people do that as long as you... Uh, as long as you, it means something to you. You know, I, I work with, uh, as an insolvency counselor, with people who have just filed basically uh, the equivalents of, of Chapter 7 or 13 bankruptcy in the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they have to do two counseling sessions with me. And, you know, it's really about um, the only thing that I really want to get from them, the very base minimum, is that they learn something, mm-hmm. right? If you didn't learn, if you went through this process and you didn't learn something, what's the point, mm-hmm. right? You get a fresh start, right? You start from zero, uh, you know, in terms of debt, right? It's all cleared out, right? Whether it, you get a reduced thing that you pay to us for five years or a bankruptcy where you pay just a little bit and then you actually do start from zero, there, um, the opportunity is there. Mm-hmm. You made a, a mistake or a, a series of mistakes. You learn from those, you get a, a second chance. That that doesn't happen in a lot of countries. It's harder to do in the U.S. You gotta mm-hmm. get a lawyer. You gotta pay. You know, and it's really prohibitive versus Canada. So we're very lucky here to have automatic things. You don't have to go to court for. Um, so you know, to be able to um, apply that 
to just everything in your life to accept making mistakes. I think that's probably a huge, huge part of this, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of uh, politicians being able to apologize for things, uh, everyone just feels like they need to be right all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's, no, that's not the way to lead. It's no, there's no, uh, there's no accountability there and there's no progress. Yeah. I love what you said. Like the opportunity is there. I think what we need to do better as people is encourage people to take that opportunity and especially, oh my God, the politician thing, you're so spot on. And, you know, here we're big fans of like, if you've changed your mind publicly, we'll call you a flip flopper and okay, people will be yeah. like, well, how can we trust you? And it's like, well, I didn't know this information before when I made <laughs> that first statement and now I learned new information. So you can trust me to grow and change. Like I'm not getting trust paralyzed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think like, uh, it's, but it's wild. I mean, the media, the pundits, the political pundits. Can we just get rid of political pundits? Like, no more. Okay, <laughs> we don't need any Tucker Carlson's. We don't oh just need God. these people who What's like. A to a Tommy, uh, to uh, the Tommy. Oh, a Tommy, uh, Tommy Lauren? Lauren. Yeah, tomato. Yeah, uh, drives, me, drives me nuts. <laughs> she drives is me nuts. ridiculous. I'm trying to watch too much of that stuff, but mm -mm. yeah. yeah, yeah. No, you can't. But it's it's just like it's it's anti helpful, is what I want to say. Like, it's not yep. helpful to hold people to standards from who they were two years ago, 10 years ago. You know, we have to remember that we're all changing and we're all growing. And some people are really, really working at it and really trying hard to grow and change. And that should be applauded, not slammed. You know, uh, it, it makes me uh, remember. Um, so our, you know, our prime minister, Justin Trudeau, he, uh, there's photos or video of him in blackface mm -hmm. like 10 years ago or something like that, you know, well, at a time when it was actually not, te not absolutely terrible, <laughs> apparently mm -hmm. to do this for like a Halloween or something. Right. Um, there was a time, right. I could, I could even remember probably mm -hmm. in the nineties when, it, you know, so many things in the nineties were like <laughs> so wrong now. Right. As you were saying earlier uh, in the episode, um, we're going to look back in five years and say, wow, I did that, right? So great. He looks back and he regrets it. And so they keep bringing it up. And I don't know how productive that is, right? If he kept saying, oh, yeah, I was totally justified and I love blackface and things like that. Well, then, of course, mm -hmm. that's not a bad thing. But we all make mistakes. And people love to do that to politicians, right? Mm -hmm. doesn't excuse what he did at the time, right? I mean, you know, I went to a, hey, I went to a play where, uh, you know, some of the older plays that are still in, in production, they had a scene where there was blackface mm -hmm. and they did that. And I was like, no, no, don't do it just because it's written in. Right. Right. It's like yeah. if, if you ever you ever read an old book and it's got um, like terrible either homophobic slurs or something in it. And you're mm -hmm. like, do I have to read this? Yeah. Um, as is. I'm like, do I have to honor the text? Mm hmm. That that's a good question, right? It, they, it was written then, but you're reading it now. These things make a difference, though, right? Like you you can't mm -hmm. keep saying these things now because it affects our future behavior. Yeah. Oh man, I think about that all the time, especially because mm. like especially with books, like <laughs> the United States or the Western canon is something that yeah. I have a real big issue with because it's mostly okay. old white old white dudes yes, uh, that yeah. like. Frankly, half of them are not good writers, like not good writers. Okay. But I do think like language has changed so much, both from a more like equitable point of view, but also just in the way that we use words, like words have evolved mm -hmm. and they don't mean the same things. I remember learning in high school, I did a play, um, King Richard III for a Shakespeare play, and okay. they used jealous a word we still use, but they use it to mean suspicious. Like I am jealous oh, of this man. Yes, and yes. there was this whole book that we all had to read about how the words had changed. And I'm like, honestly, half of the stuff in the canon that we make kids read in high school and stuff, we don't need to read anymore. It's not helpful. It's not productive. And our society has like really moved beyond it. But then also I'm like, but if we forget our history, <laughs> like what does that do to future generations? So I see both sides. I do think it's important that we look back and know where we've come from. But I also think if it's not being taught by someone who can say, like, think critically about this and understand how we've evolved and how this is not, I'm not holding this up as a model of what to do. I'm holding this up as an example of what we have already done. Then yeah. it can be very 
useless. So those are just my unfiltered thoughts on that. <laughs> it's all it's all unfiltered today. There's no editing, right? Um, I you made me think of uh, you know uh, we have all these old kids songs that play on these devices that we have. Mm. I, I I haven't looked into the background of the song "This Old Man." But I know th- the lyrics inside out now. So this old man, he played one. He played knick-knack on his thumb with a knick-knack paddywhack, give a dog a bone. This old man came <laughs> rolling home. Is uh, There's probably something terrible in there. What does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean? It's probably something I don't even want to know what knick-knack paddywhack, give a dog a bone means. Mm. Um, right? What does it mean? Why are we still saying these things that make no sense? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Just because it's catchy. Right. You know, the, there's a, a, an old song called Chickalo Chan that my mom used to sing and no longer, please. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it is not uh, good. Mm-hmm. Uh, not good. Right. But that was what she grew up in. So she's got it in her head and she might, you know, she might sing it because it's catchy. Mm-hmm. So we have to we have to look at all of these things and the way that we say things and the way, you know, and of course it comes to a head uh, these days with, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter. People are trying to think that they're saying the right thing by saying all lives matter and they don't understand, right? Um, it's the words that you use make a difference, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a million different ways to try to explain the difference between Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter. And people, you go look that up, please. If you're yeah. not sure, just go look <laughs> it up, right? Like, you know, this house is on fire, um, but all houses matter, yeah. right? Well, this one's on fire right now. Can we yeah. put that out, please? No, what about my house? What if it, uh, you know, it needs some work on the side? Yeah, but it's not on fire, right? Right. And so, <laughs> I don't know. I like that one. Do you have one that makes more sense? Um, not off or the top explaining. of my head. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, people can look this up themselves, right? And I mean, I don't know. Can you talk about uh, how, uh, I mean, it's not the oppressed person's responsibility to explain oppression, right? Yeah. Um, so this is something that you'll hear from a lot of people in marginalized communities. Like, it's not my job to teach you how to treat me like a person. Like, that yeah. should be something that you can do on your own. <laughs> especially again in terms of education like you can google anything (laughs) you know you can google how to not be a racist or why don't black people teach me how to be nicer to black people like you can google that and google will spit out fifteen thousand articles written by people of color specifically black people to be like here's why (laughs) you know um but thinking of it as more of a of a kind of a big picture thing. I can understand people like, well, it makes sense. If you want me to know about your experience, you should teach me. But what they're really saying is, I am currently dealing with your oppression. Like even as we are having this conversation, Mm. we are still living in a world where I am not equal to you. And I have to deal with that as I educate you. Are you kidding me? So now I have double the burden. Like at least let me just deal with the burden of racism or sexism. And then you... As the person who is maybe inadvertently oppressing me, like, you go take the time to read that book, bro. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, that's right? what they're saying. And I'm trying to balance this, too, right? Because, I, you know, I want to amplify voices. I want to have you on to talk about, you know, the summit and the things, the community that you're building and your experience. But, I mean, I cross the line, I'm sure, all the time with asking you to explain things to me, right? Well, you know, so that's another interesting thing where like obviously I am in the world as a woman, so I'm experiencing sexism, but I'm also white, white passing. And part of our responsibility as white people is to do some more of the legwork. So like part of my responsibility as a white woman, as an ally to woman of color is to have conversations with you about racism. Um, So that's something I was just talking about. This is I, this always sounds weird, but I was just talking to a black friend of mine and she was like, man, I'm feeling really, really like weighed down. I'm always feeling weighed down because of racism. But like this week, last week was really hard. And I was like, yeah, I completely understand that. I want you to know I'm talking to a lot of the white people in my life right now. Yeah. And she was yeah. like, thank you. <laughs> Like all caps, (laughs) because otherwise she would have to do it. Right. And that would be the burden on her. So that is our responsibility. But now when it comes to like sexism, like sometimes T-Bone and I have this conversation a lot where T-Bone is like, well, but you're so knowledgeable. And I'm like, because I've lived it because I've been in rooms with you where people only talk 
to you (laughs) and they won't talk to me, especially Uh. around money and stuff. And T-Bone doesn't know anything about money. T-Bone knows what he's learned from me, (laughs) but he doesn't have an interest in it. It's not a passion. He's like, tell me what to do and I'll just do it. But also don't tell me what to do because I hate being told what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Texas, right? Uh, T-Bone. Yes, Texas. Um, And so, yeah, it's, it is. I do think we all kind of have to walk a line, which sounds like we always need to be on eggshells, but it's genuinely just using your common sense. Like right now in the United States, around the world, we're having this moment of active anti-racism. Use your common sense. Don't go to your friends of color and be like, how can I do better? Go to Google. (laughs) Realize that they're dealing with a lot right now. And if we were having this moment and it was focused on like women's rights, you would maybe go to your black male friend and be like, how can we do better for the ladies in our life, right? And that's just common sense. That's not like a huge burden that people should be taking on. So I think it's easier than we think it is, but it's also like, think it through, bro. Yeah, think it through. And don't go to the default hide away to protect your privilege Mm -hmm. uh, thing, which it's so easy to do because it's the comfort zone, right? Yes. And this doesn't have, you know, to think this doesn't have anything to do with me. So why should I have to get involved? And, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing what I consider to be the base minimum here Mm -hmm. and talking about this stuff, right? And I'm, you know, I have uh, Cassandra uh, Descent coming on next week and she is a person of color. uh, Sorry, she is a black woman. Um, I got to distinguish those things, right? Because mm. everybody's, you know, it's about black people in, in the States right now. It's not, mm-hmm. right? It's not about being a person of color. Um, it's a very clear uh, distinction. Uh, and and it's something that um, I don't understand uh, very much, mm-hmm. right? But we have it here in Canada too, right? We've, we've had, with those, uh, oh, and I've probably mentioned this to you. Uh, you should listen to the Secret Life of Canada podcast mm. if you're ever curious. Because it talks about all the bad stuff mm-hmm. um, in Canada, and we're we're we try to pretend like we're so innocent, right? Mm-hmm. Underground Railroad, we saved everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Mm, um, yeah, maybe, yeah, we did, but there's also lots going on, right? And lots about um, you know um, the people immigrating from the Caribbean and things like that too, and and how they were treated, et cetera, et cetera. So there's so a lot. No, no one is uh, immune to this. No one is not uh, involved in this. And uh, it's like you said, uh, you said it best, uh, be, being a, a good person, uh, being kind to someone, right? I mean, it applies to the using people's pronouns that they like. And anything that uh, another human being would like you to do, it's not about oppressing you or taking away your rights. It's about being a good person mm-hmm. and respecting your fellow person. That's, it's, it, it sounds simple, doesn't it? It does sound so simple. And again, like leave room for mistakes. I make mistakes all the time, particularly with um, pronouns. Um, Like not so much one-on-one with people. I'm very good at being like, what are your pronouns? I got it. Perfect. But when I'm doing podcasts and stuff, I will default to like he or she instead of just saying they. (laughs) Like just say they. It's tough, right? But it is because of course I've spent the first 30 years of my life saying he or she. So I'm just trying to challenge that narrative in my own brain. And I've made mistakes. But guess what? I'm still out here trying. Still out here trying. Or like on the podcast that I have, Ferris Ends, for the first like two seasons, I would say um, like when referring to periods and menstruation i would always say women but now i'm like people who get periods you know (laughs) and like that's growth baby that's growth like i am sorry in the past but like i wasn't aware and now i'm aware and i'm moving forward moving forward and yeah i mean i just found out yesterday uh, about jk rowling and her transphobia Uh, we could do a whole episode about that i don't Um, i just found that out like this morning (laughs) and i'm like what happened what happened oh this is more okay because it's it's blowing up yeah Mm -hmm. uh, and i I know i know what a turf is now Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's like you can learn things if you open your eyes Mm -hmm. so um okay so what's the next thing for you to to continue this do you have another (laughs) conference in the works or what like yeah how are you doing? <laughs> you know, like financially and because mm. and, uh, you got to pivot, right? Yeah, got to pivot. You know, I'm doing okay um, mentally, emotionally, financially, doing okay. okay. Um, I definitely have taken some hits, obviously, with COVID, lost some speaking gigs, yeah. lost some opportunities. Um, a lot of, I don't work with that many brands, but a few and brand mm. dollars 
dried up. They have, they have less money too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that that's a bummer. Um, in terms of next steps for Bravely Go, um, we'll be doing the conference again, the summit again. I think it'll be next year. I don't think we'll do another one this year. Maybe we'll see how it goes. Um, but for me, it really is at this point, I've built a community and we've seen a lot of growth in the last three months, especially. And yeah. so for me now, I want to focus on the people that are there as well as keep pushing forward. But it's important. Like we live in this growth mindset, right? Like keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. I know. 10x, 10x. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> that's not for me. I'm tired. Okay. <laughs> like yeah. I need, I would rather honor the people that have already shown up for me than push them out of the way as I try and get more people to show up for sure, me, yeah, you know? That's great. So that's where my head's at. I don't know specifically what that looks like, but that's where my head's at. Yeah, good. And there's, you know, this is the time to, to do that and to, you know, there's, we need to think of the alternate ways to do what we do mm-hmm. uh, and, and not, I mean, if we just sit and hope for it to come back, we could do that. And maybe we, you can survive, uh, you know, financially. A lot of us can. Uh, you know, I know you said you built up a nice emergency fund, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps, right? Uh, um, and, of course, we'll. Ha- I want you to come on and tell your full, uh, you know, uh, debt repayment and, and, and struggle uh, story to, you know, make this company, um, you know, in the future. Um, that's, th- uh, that's definitely worth uh, 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 waiting for. But the um, the the idea here is um, we have we we can't keep doing what we're doing um, and expecting the world to come back to what it was. Yeah, it'll be different. Yeah, a little bit at least, right? Oh, for sure, for sure. Even if you know they announce a vaccine tomorrow and everybody goes and gets it. <laughs> businesses have learned oh maybe we don't need everyone in the office so like more people will be remote or more employees will be empowered to negotiate for remote work because they have three four months of experience doing it you know cities are seeing like new york is a good example they've been closing off certain streets so that people can go out and socially distance and so i wonder Mm. if people will be less reliant on cars and want to like walk more and you know experience their city in different ways and i've also heard from several friends who are in real estate that like there's going to be a very clear trend of people wanting to get out of cities into areas where they can have a backyard you know and they aren't crammed into these apartments are on top of everyone and like i have a backyard and that has been a huge blessing for this quarantine time so i'm never i'm never not having a yard (laughs) yeah not going forward right that's become the priority and uh you know i used to think i'd be fine to be in another concrete box again if i Mm -hmm. wanted to or if it was necessary but yeah, now I wish I had a bigger yard. We have enough room to put a swing uh, for Henry, mm. uh, and which is great. And and for you know, Kayla loves gardening, so she has uh, is able to do that. Um, you know, while she's waiting to go back to medical school in person, but she's doing it online. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like uh, a lot of people, uh, their lives have been interrupted. Um, if you still have a job, you're lucky in this case. I mean, in the mm-hmm. states especially, with 40 million. Oof. Unemployed is that the yes. number these days? Yes, that's I, a lot. I think it's very. They just released uh, a jobs report like yesterday or Friday, I guess. Um, and so I haven't looked at it. It might have changed slightly, but I don't sure. know if it changed for good or bad. So. Yeah, but, <laughs> but give 40 or take, million, right? Let's but say at 40 one million. point it was that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, you know, some people are getting back. You said you're in uh, a later stage of reopening now in in, in Texas or Austin specifically. Yeah, Texas. So we're Texas, pretty far yeah. along in reopening. Um, whereas I know, I think New York City starts reopening phase one on Monday. Yeah. Um, we're in phase yeah. one now. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what are the, like, what are the rules? Can you gather with people? What are the, yeah. So we still, we're not supposed to be gathering in groups of more than 10 or 10, mm-hmm. maybe 12. Um, oh. but like the first round was restaurants and bars could reopen at 25% capacity. Yep. And then the second round was hairdressers, um, like massage par- parlors, uh, I'm trying to think of other things. They could open at 25% capacity. And then the restaurants and bars went up to 50% capacity. Okay. 
And so now I think we're entering the third wave, and that is restaurants and bars can open up to sit between 50 and 75%. Um, and people, we still have to wear masks and we still have to do the six feet thing, but okay. businesses in Texas are not required to mandate a mask inside. Like some states are saying, listen, if you're if we're going to open up, Everyone has to wear a mask. And again, in Texas, we're like, you can't tell me what to do. So some businesses are like, you have to wear a mask. And some businesses are like, you don't. And that's, I think, an interesting divide. Because like, I'm not going to go into a business yeah. where there aren't people wearing masks. I'm like, that's messed up. What are you doing? Yeah. Because if, if both people are wearing masks, it's been proven to actually be quite effective, right? Right. So just like, just for just, you know, like as our prime minister said, speaking moistly at uh, at others, <laughs> Um, it happens if you don't wear a mask. You can't s get the moisture onto somebody else. It's horrible the way to say it. <laughs> by the way, um, if you if you're you're protected, right? Yes. So yeah, that um, I think we're just gonna have to see how all of these different ways work, mm -hmm. right? I mean, if there's second waves, or, or you know, if it's an acceptable amount of people are getting sick, you know, in terms of the number of, of ventilators that exist in the hospitals, mm -hmm. then that, that might be the new normal, right? So we go out, we do what we do, we try to protect, but people are getting sick mm -hmm. and people are dying. I don't know what's, what an acceptable rate of that is, but that's, and I think that's the, the struggle that's happening in all of the U.S. right now and the, and the whole world is how do we balance living our lives versus the risk of a pandemic, you yeah. know? And that's tough. I don't know. I'm not a politician, but I'm realizing more and more how difficult it is to be one. Yeah, man. I used to have big dreams of running for president, like 100%. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to be the president. <laughs> I'm ready for this. And now I'm like, I don't want to be the president. That sounds awful. That sounds like a terrible, terrible right? job. In a, in, a, in a situation like this, especially. Yeah. So, I mean, all we can do is just you know, try to uh, well follow the rules if we can, and ba mm -hmm. balance and uh, and try to just navigate through this time. But really, we're it's like a pause right now. We're on pause and, mm -hmm. until we get these definite rules, and then you can make more concrete decisions. But um, you know, and uh, in terms of what's happening right now, let's just talk about it and try to uh, find some some peace in the mm -hmm. world and all of this. Um, I mean, just I just can the police just stop hurting people that's yeah what i would like that's yeah. bottom line right we can have protests we can have order we can have restrictions and enforcement and stuff but why why you got to kill people why you right? gotta kill people like, oh, yes a hundred percent by it's accident or not by accident whatever it is like mm -hmm. there's you know uh, i i don't know if it was chris rock uh, but this face has been posted uh, everywhere saying this but like there's there's situations where the you can't have a couple of bad apples, right? Yeah, like, that was Chris Rock. Uh, oh, we you know only uh, we have like two bad pilots. They always crash their planes. Yeah. Um. So, but but you know only those two, mm -hmm. right? What they're gonna keep doing it like? Yeah. They, and they always crash. Seventy one incidents of of violence against a, a, a person a police officer can have. Mm -hmm. How many is too many? Yeah. Uh, before they they stop being a police officer and go do anything else mm -hmm. to make money yeah you don't have to be that person if yeah. you, you know i'm gonna say like one or two to three four or five incidents <laughs> i don't know what the number is but it's not 71 mm -hmm. that is just wrong no and i don't understand the system if that's how it works you can have 71 complaints against you and still be a police officer i don't understand that at all so you know, these are the kind of things that are coming to light, which is good. Mm -hmm. And we can investigate these and, and, and try to make sense of them. And if, if, if anything comes from, if, if that's what comes from this and there's some kind of reform, then I guess we just have to keep accepting the baby steps that are being made, right? As all of history. As <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, I'll take anything moving forward. But um, yeah, exactly to your point. There are some things that must be made unacceptable, just flat out here is that's the line it. no yeah absolutely well that's a great uh, way to uh, to end this i i uh you know i i w i'm glad i started the podcast up again just to be able to have conversations about this so people can listen to and maybe just learn something or hear something they haven't heard before mm -hmm. you know about how we're all dealing with what's happening right now 
what you're doing to try to continue to to educate the world um, about you know personal finance, but also the intersectionality and people's experiences that we don't ever see. So thanks so much for for being on the show. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. All right. So next week, uh, I'm gonna have Cassandra uh, Desant coming on. Uh, she'll tell me how to pronounce her last name. She, you know, she is uh, Canadian, um, though I believe uh, she grew up in. Uh, um, I think she said Trinidad or was born in Trinidad. I think you're yeah. right. Yeah. And so, uh, but she's spent, I think, most of her life in Canada, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll talk about uh, all of, a whole bunch of stuff uh, uh, next week because she's been great and very vocal on Twitter about um, anti-racism. And, um, you know, uh, it's really good to keep this conversation going. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. So I'll see you all next week.